coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. When we've done studies looking at our high, relatively high blood levels of linoleic acid, uh, harmful relative to lower levels, which would be the idea that, you know, you're eating too much, therefore uh, high levels of omega-6 in the blood should be a problem, should be associated with increased risk for disease, whatever. And when we've looked at cardiovascular disease risk, and this is looking at populations that looking at, you know, several thousand people's blood levels of omega-6, of a linoleic acid. And then we we take these several thousand people whose blood levels we've measured and we rank them from the, you know, the lowest levels to the highest levels. And then we look and see over 15, 20 years who develops heart disease. Who develops diabetes? There's two different diseases that we've looked at lately. And what we found was that the people who have the highest levels of linoleic acid in their blood are the least likely to develop heart disease or diabetes. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interview Dr. Bill Harris. Dr. Harris is the author of more than 300 scientific papers on fatty acids and health. He's a professor in the Department of Medicine in the Sanford School of Medicine at the University of South Dakota, the co-inventor of the Omega-3 Index, and the founder of Omega Quaint Analytics. We discussed how omega-3s can lower blood triglycerides, his reasoning behind inventing the omega-3 index, benefits of omega-3s, are omega-6s really bad for us, and best ways to obtain omega-3s in our diet, and much, much more. Really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Bill Harris. I know you will too. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin, and I have Dr. Bill Harris on. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, we're going to get all into omega-3s and uh, sort of your research behind them. But maybe give the audience a little bit of background of you know, what you've been up to for the last uh, 20, 30 years. <laughs> 40. <laughs> 40 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I... I, I, I did a PhD in nutrition, got very interested in nutrition uh, in the 1970s and um, got my degree from Minnesota and then went to work uh, in Oregon on a, on a postdoctoral fellowship uh, with uh, Dr. Bill Connor. And he uh, he was very interested in the effects of different kind of dietary fats on cholesterol levels. And so he... Uh, assigned me to do a study on what's the effect of salmon oil on blood cholesterol. And it was my first experience with omega-3. Well, I didn't, I'm not even sure I knew much, even knew the term omega-3 in those days. It was salmon oil. Yeah, that was the point. Mm -hmm. And we, um, excuse me, uh, really got on the omega-3 bandwagon quite early. So first paper was 1980 and the, the Danish, investigators had figured out the whole Eskimo story in the late seventies that omega-3 was tied to reduce risk for heart disease. And we were kind of getting on that train just after they did. And uh, the omega-3 story has just been building 
for the last 40 years it's been building it's still getting it's still growing and so it's been a fun ride i probably the first half of my career was more studying what we call interventional studies where we give fish oil give omega-3 and see what it does mostly to blood lipid levels uh second half has been more of the what we'll call epidemiology or population stuff where after coming up with the omega-3 index test which we'll talk about um we i got real interested in how much information uh, the omega-3 level gives us for a person's overall health. And, you know, is it a predictor of, like, is it a risk factor? And right. so that's what I've been on for last oh, 10 or 20 years. And and that's with your company, the um, Omega Quaint, is that what it is? Omega Quant. Quant, okay. Yeah, uh, Omega Quant was the lab we founded about 13 years ago to offer blood testing for researchers, for clinicians, for consumers, um, just so they can know what their omega-3 level is. Because I think it's as important, it's more important than cholesterol in terms of being able to predict important clinical outcomes. Uh, so we wanted to, we thought there needed to be a test. So we came up with one and started a lab to offer. Very cool. And that's been going for what, 10 years now? About 12. 12 years, okay. Uh, I, I know you've been involved with a lot of studies. Uh, what were some of the early studies that sort of made you go down this road? I know you were talking, um, I've listened to you on a few podcasts, but regarding <clears throat> reducing triglycerides and, and the effect, uh, how omega-3s reduced triglycerides by quite a bit. Right. That was the first you know, hint that we had that the omega-3s were doing something unusual. Mm -hmm. um, we were originally interested in what they do to cholesterol. Uh, and turns out really they don't do anything to blood cholesterol in any meaningful way. They don't really lower LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol. They might raise the good cholesterol, HDL, a little bit, but not, you know, it's, it's not huge by any means. But they do lower blood triglycerides. And that's one of the things we discovered and uh, really made a, a lot of noise about because that was important. Um, but honestly, I don't think that's why omega-3s are helpful. I, th I think the most important thing is probably their effects on you know, inflammation, chronic inflammation uh, over the lifespan. Um, and maybe their effects on, on maybe making the blood a little thinner, so less likely to clot, making the blood vessels healthier. There's a lot of subtle beneficial things throughout the entire body uh, that all add up to a, a long-term benefit. And maybe explain to the audience a little bit about like EPA, DHA, and then also ALA, because those are all the three forms of omega-3s. Yeah, alphabet soup. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, right, there are, and maybe even to back up a little further, fatty yeah. acids in general, uh, fatty acids are comp comprised basically 95% of what a fat is. You think about butter, you think about vegetable oil, those are 100% fat. Um, and about 95% of that fat chemically is fatty acids. So those are long chains of carbon atoms uh, between roughly 14 carbon atoms and 22 carbon atoms in a, in a long chain. And they all have bonds between them, chemistry, some single bonds, some double bonds. 
Uh, if you have two or more double bonds, you've got a polyunsaturated fatty acid. And those are uh, typically will make up most vegetable oils, polyunsaturates and fish oils. Um, and the, the two classes of poly, two families of polyunsaturated fatty acids are really omega-6 and omega-3. And those names come from the omega comes from uh, counting, nearly counting back from the end, the last carbon atom to the first double bond. If there's three carbons before the first double bond, it's an omega minus three. If there's six, it's an omega minus six. And those two families are separate, but, but they're very much like cousins in a way. Um, the omega-3s have, as you mentioned, really three main players, three main kids in that family. Mm -hmm. um, one is ALA, which stands for alpha-linolenic acid. Uh, it's a relatively short chain, it's 18 carbon instead of 20 or 22 carbons, 18 carbon fatty acid that's from plants. Um, most richly, most notably would be in um, flaxseed oil, chia seed, uh, those are rich sources. Uh, the most common source of ALA in the American diet is uh, soybean oil. Because okay. um, we eat a lot of soybean oil and ALA is about 7% of the fatty acids. Are. So that's really where we get it. Um, it's a an omega-3. Uh, it can be uh, it, with difficulty. <laughs> elongated synthesized in the body to EPA, which is one of the two um, omega-3s from fish. So that it can be made into EPA and to DHA, but the conversion is quite small. Um, I mean, that's somewhat controversial whether you can get enough omega-3 from just eating ALA. Uh, and people will point to you know, vegan cultures where they don't eat any fish at all, don't eat any preformed omega-3 and say, look, you know, they're living, they're okay. Well, you know, are they at optimal health or just living? You know, it's a good question. Um, I, I think that we do need preformed EPA and DHA uh, for optimal health. Um and so the, the two we're talking about now, and what we'll probably talk about more about in this podcast is EPA and DHA. And EPA just stands for Icosa pentaenoic acid. Icosa, E-I-C-O-S-A is the, the Greek word for 20. And penta is five. It's got 20 carbons and five double bonds. And docosa hexaenoic acid, D-H-A. Docosa means 22. And hexa is six. So there's six double bonds. So EPA, DHA is the easy way of saying them. Those are the ones that come from marine sources, fish, fish oils. Okay. And I've there's been a lot of talk, like not only in my, on my podcast, but just in general about the dangers of polyunsaturated fatty acids, mainly in the form of probably omega-6, um, maybe some in omega-3s, and I'd be, maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, I had uh, Dr. Chris Kenobi on. I don't know if you're familiar with him and his work, but you know, health researcher was a physician for a while, and uh, you know, talks all about omega six linoleic acid and how how it's sort of been been on the rise with all these you know all these oils, 
that are just in everything now, you know, mainly the vegetable oils and seed oils. What are your thoughts around that? Um, And, you know, have you done any studies um, around those? Yeah, we have. And my thoughts are different. (laughs) Yeah, right. Than Chris's. Um, Okay. I, I, I mean, I know people are railing against uh, seed oils writ large. Uh, And, you know, I don't have as much of a horse in that race. Uh, You know, it could be there's something uh, bad about seed oils, whether it's linoleic acid. And just to be clear, linoleic is the most common omega-6. It's an essential fatty acid for our diet. Uh, And nobody disputes that. Uh, The question is how much and is there too much? I think um, right. I don't think so, uh, but maybe Chris does. Uh, <laughs> he, does. With, he does. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's hard to separate, you know, seed oils, processed oils, linoleic acid, different questions. Sure. Uh, when we have done studies looking at uh, blood levels of omega of linoleic acid, which is driven by how much you eat, since you can't make it, it's kind of like a vitamin. So the, when we've done studies looking at <clears throat> our high, relatively high blood levels of linoleic acid, uh, harmful relative to lower levels, which would be the idea that, you know, we're eating too much, therefore uh, high levels of omega-6 in the blood should be a problem, should be associated with increased risk for disease, whatever. And when we've looked at, cardiovascular disease risk, and this is looking at populations that looking at, you know, several thousand people's blood levels of omega-6, of a linoleic acid. And then we we take these several thousand people whose blood levels we've measured and we rank them from the, you know, the lowest levels to the highest levels. And then we look and see over 15, 20 years who develops heart disease, who develops diabetes. There's two different diseases that we've looked at lately. And what we found was that the people who have the highest levels of linoleic acid in their blood are the least likely to develop heart disease or diabetes, which speaks volumes to me. That that says you you, you got to do some pretty fancy dancing to now turn around and say that linoleic acid is bad for you if higher levels are associated with less risk for disease. Um, now we haven't looked at other diseases like maybe dementia that would be interesting uh, other maybe autoimmune diseases that would be interesting but at least for cardiovascular and diabetes which are two biggies um and we're looking at and actually we've seen this, the same thing in other people's studies for cancer uh either no relationship or lower risk for cancer with omega-6 um I just can't get on the bandwagon that saying omega-6 is bad just because I can look at, you know, a metabolic chart and see this, the omega-3s compete with omega-6s. And okay, fine. They do. Right. That doesn't mean omega-6 is bad. That's not a logical conclusion. Um, so I, I, I am more of an advocate for at least maintaining omega-6 levels, if not increasing them because they're kind of going down. I think the evidence says the more they go down, the worse off we're going to be um, as a culture. But so, there is a narrative out there that yeah. is persuasive. You know, I get it. You know, I mean, you can make you can show the, all these correlations right. between 
here's what the disease rate was in this year, and here's how much omega-6 was in the diet, and now 50 years later, here's the disease, and here's omega-6, and holy cow, you know, it's a stretch to, there's a lot of science in there that's skipped skipped over when you just look at a disease rate and an intake rate and skip everything else. Yeah. And people make long, I've seen, I've watched long talks where they just go country after country and show this relationship, but that doesn't prove anything to me. Gosh, anyway, interesting. I, that's, a, that's a bit of a soapbox. I'll get off it. Well, it, no, I mean, it's, it is true. I, I do feel like for anything nowadays, if you want to find something that sort of works in your favor, as far as your views, you could find, you know, you could probably find some things, right? I mean, linoleic acid, uh, you know, seed oils like canola and peanut and soy and sunflower. So you don't think that cooking in those could is... Well, yeah, cooking in those. Now, that's right. That's a good point. Um, What happens? What does cooking do to those oils? Right. Variety of things. Um, And again, I'm not an expert on the effects of cooking at certain temperatures for certain times. Um. So, yeah, I mean, that door is possibly open. I'm not adverse to that. But when we talk about omega-6, let's talk about omega-6. Let's not talk about seed oils. They're different questions. You know, and so let's just be clear what we're talking about. And uh, so I'm open to the possibility that, you know, overcooked, overheated seed oils are bad for you. Sure, that's possible. That doesn't mean omega-6 is bad for you. And where are people getting most of their omega sixes then? Since there's been such still, a rise, I think from those uh, from those not necessarily overheated oils, not necessarily from French fries at McDonald's, um, which doesn't have much of omega six in it. Actually, um, there there are soybean oils I mentioned earlier is used in a lot of different products. Yeah, and, you know, I guess that's another point to make is. You know, maybe it's the company that you know. If you if you're eating a lot of processed foods, one of one of whose components is a soybean oil. Uh, there's other stuff in that processed food that may be bad for your health. Fair enough, sure. you know, could be. Don't pin it on the omega sixes. If it's something else, and omega six is an innocent bystander, I mean that's possible. So I just want people to think critically and carefully about what they're criticizing and what's the evidence for exactly what they're criticizing. Right. And obviously there's a difference between just, you know, that oil being in the product as opposed to actually heating that oil and how it could potentially cause, you know, downstream effects. Absolutely. Right. Right. Could very, very well be. Um, Because obviously the saturated fats are the more stable fats to cook in, I would assume that, um, they can't oxidize. That's true. <clears throat> they can or can't. They they cannot. Right. right. So but that co- doesn't mean they can't. You know, form other other weird compounds that are not natural. Um, they just don't necessarily become oxidized. And and so sh- should people uh, strive for a certain omega six to omega three ratio? Oh, there's another. <laughs> there's another one. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I mean. And, uh, how much time do we have on this thing? <laughs> oh, well, as long as you want. <laughs> as long as you want. I know. Uh, no, just briefly, I, I'm not a fan of omega-6, omega-3 ratio. Okay. Well, not, Bill. Well, several things. Number one, it presumes omega-6s are bad. And I just went through a litany on that. That's 
debatable. At, at the very least, it's debatable. Um, number two, when we say omega-6, there are seven different omega-6 fatty acids in our blood and maybe two or three in our diet. Which ones are you talking about? You know, it's not precise. It's not specific. It assumes that arachidonic acid, which is 20, is equivalent to linoleic acid. Those are the two major ones in the diet and the blood. And they're not. Different health effects, different metabolites from both of them. So it, it's incorrect. It's sloppy. It's mentally sloppy to put all omega-6s into one bucket and say they all behave the same way. It's like saying EPA and DHA are the same thing as ALA on the omega-3 side, which is another problem because, you know, the omega-6 omega-3 ratio does not differentiate DHA from ALA. That's a problem. Um, number three, you can have high levels of omega-6 and high levels of omega-3 or low levels of omega-6 and low omega and have the same ratio. Sure. So mathematically, it's problematic. And you know what to do about it. Oh, your ratio is too low. Well, should I lower my sixes or should I raise my threes? Well, if I can fix the ratio by lowering my sixes, I don't have to do anything when I'm with my omega threes because I'll fix the ratio. Well, that's not going to be helpful. If you don't rate the problem in America, I think, is lack of EPA and DHA. So that's why I think that's the metric to look at. What's the EPA, DHA? Don't worry about the rest of the stuff. Get your EPA and DHA levels up and everything else is sort out. Your ratio will improve. Okay. If you increase the denominator, the ratio improves. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. What would you say? I, I um, This is a thought out of um, a gentleman I've had on, uh, Jay Feldman, just a health researcher. I don't know if you know Dr. Ray Pete. He does a lot of work. He's okay. But he talked about how DHA is one of the weakest and least stable fats. Um. Yeah weakest and when you, yeah you, you mean potentially unstable sure okay uh, except unless it's i mean you show me the data is what i'd say okay <laughs> yeah yeah i was just hey, curious because hey, he's talked yeah. about how yeah like um the structural component of the uh when used as a structural component of the mitochondria it increases the leakage of energy more than any other polyunsaturated fat dha does and it's more susceptible to damage than monounsaturated fats. That was sort of his. That, if, if you certainly put both of them in a test tube and you bubble oxygen through it, right? Definitely the DHA is going to break down. No question. That doesn't mean in a membrane in biology in real life that DHA can be replaced by a mono and, and you'll do better. That's a huge leap. You know, what happens in a test tube in a laboratory is very different. I mean, I don't know any, what he says about energy leakage in yeah. mitochondria. I'd like to see the data. I'd like okay. to see it if it's in real life or are we talking about in a Petri dish? You know, because everything I've seen, all our studies, higher levels of DHA in your blood, which reflects higher levels of DHA in your tissues, is always so far Okay, been associated with better health outcomes, whatever it's from the brain and to the heart, to the lung, to the kidney, etc. You know, so show me the data. I'll send you his article. Okay, yeah, <laughs> tell, I, yeah. I, 
Yeah, send me the article. Yeah, I will. I think, I think, yeah, I'd be curious to know. We, we won't have to get into all of that today, but I'll send you yeah. his article because I've had him on a few times. I respect his opinion. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's sure. different things out there. So I'll send yeah, you. That. Yeah, good. We'll talk, we'll talk about it. Maybe we'll get <laughs> back on and discuss that. Yeah, no, that would be good. Um, so what, what would you say, you know, individuals should do on a daily basis as far as omega threes is concerned. And, you know, you know, what if you are a vegetarian or a vegan, um, what sort of sources can you utilize? I know ALA is probably not maybe the best, but, um, yeah, right. I know. Oh, well, let's start with the, the vast majority of Americans who are not vegetarians or vegans, um, <clears throat> or omnivores. And what do, what do I say to do? Well, ideally, you'll eat more oily fish. Just add more salmon, um, mackerel, herring, you know, uh, sardines, anchovies. Yuck. Um, sorry, I'm not an anchovy. I do like herring. I do like mackerel. Really? Well, now oh, yeah. you're 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 in rarefied space right there. <laughs> Most people will do okay with salmon. Which is one of the best sources, but herring is a great source. Um, and what in about? Fact, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say with salmon. You know, we get a really well sourced salmon. I don't know if you know this company called Seatopia. I've had them on my podcast. Cool ch- company to check out. But they actually do farm raised fish, not just salmon. But yep. it's in an environment that the species <clears throat> is uh, that the species should be in. So they're they're feeding them the algae, the correct, um, you know, whatever. Uh, diet that they should be fed, but it's in a controlled environment because, you know, what obviously what's happening in the sea, you know, you know, even wild fish, you know, you have, you could be contaminated. Um, what are your thoughts around the, you know, you know, these microplastics and the contamination, you know, yeah. with getting these oily fish and yeah, again, I, th- I think you can measure in the minors. Yeah. Um, I, you know, years ago people were doing uh, risk benefit ratio or calculations for okay if you eliminate salmon from your diet because you're worried about dioxin pbcs you know things like that because because those small amounts of those are were in this is now a decade ago they've been cleaned up but uh you know you 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 miss out on the omega-3s but you also eliminate these potential carcinogens Sure. Well, you, you you know you do the analysis and say, well it, it's like four hundred to one in favor of eating the salmon. <laughs> your risk goes down like this much for cancer, and it goes up this much for heart disease. <laughs> you know it's just a huge imbalance. So you got to look at risk benefit, and that's kind of where I'm at with um, most of these discussions about uh, farmed wild. You know, what are they feeding the farmed? Uh, are they feeding them more vegetable oils? There's more omega-6. Yeah, okay. It's still the best source of omega-3 you can get out there. It's, maybe it's not what it was 30 years ago. That doesn't mean it's not still a good product. I mean, there's still it's a good source of EPA and DHA. Um, you know, I just, you just got to look at the balance to me. It, it, don't, right. don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, um, what, so, okay, so mackerel herring salmon right uh, we smash smash is the acronym salmon oh, right yeah mackerel Man. anchovy herring sardine wait a minute did i, did I, I spell it wrong that was everything no I, for, yeah for the you, spelled it, you spelled it wrong but you might again <laughs> <laughs> right. i got it right yeah i must 
Right. What about uh, so shellfish as well, huh? Um, shellfish, like yeah, like oysters, oysters are pretty good in omega three, which always seems puzzling to me because there's not much fat there, not much oil. Um, but otherwise, things like lobster or or um, mussels, shrimp, octopus, not sh- mussels. Maybe I've I haven't looked at clams. I don't really eat clams. Me neither. Yeah, but those. So back to your original question. So, but now those are the omnivores. They'll eat fish. Vegetarians, you know, I think probably the one of the best diet is probably a pescatarian, pesca vegetarian, that kind of thing. I'll eat just the only meat I eat is fish. That I like. That is the best choice of the best balance. But I mean, do I do it? No, I should. Um, well, yeah. You know more than I used to, but uh, but uh, vegans uh, where they won't eat anything from an animal, then uh, that eliminates EPA and DHA from fish, uh, but it does not eliminate EPA and DHA from microalgae, which are the original ocean source of EPA and DHA. Uh, so they start out as a plant. Um, now most people aren't eating microalgae. You, know, you can't even buy microalgae you can you can buy oils derived from cultivated microalgae and so you can get epa and dha from algal sources uh, and those are more and more available and vegans can certainly do that ala alone um you know if that if you if you're not going to eat epa and dha and i can take a supplement of epa and dha well, that's, you know, that's the third choice. That's plan C, I guess you'd say, for a vegan is be sure you get plenty of ALA. And ALA is mainly nuts, seeds, things like that, seed oils, flaxseed oil. Right, right. Flaxseed oil, 50%, 50, you know, half of the weight of flaxseed oil is ALA. So okay. you, could take, you could take a teaspoon of that a day and get plenty of ALA, you know. Are there other cultures that, that, we can compare ourselves to um, like the Japanese mm-hmm. culture that uh, where, where like they have higher, um, you know, subsets of omega threes than we do. Yeah. They've kind of been the, the poster child, uh, at least historically for a high, about the highest omega three in the planet and in the, in the lowest risk, almost virtually no heart disease and the uh, longevity about four years longer than Americans live. Um, again, historically, I'm not talking about today's generation, which is becoming more and more like us to their detriment, I'm afraid. Probably because uh, of the Western, our Western culture. Western diet is yeah. invading Japan and they're, you know, cheeseburgers taste good. I, you know, they just do. Um, people like them. Uh, so not criticizing them for that. But the, historically, Japan has been the great example of what a long, a lifelong high omega-3 diet uh, can produce in terms of health. I mean, and you think about it, it's really amazing that they would live four years longer um, on average because they smoke more than Americans do. Traditionally, they had they did. They certainly had higher stress. They had higher blood pressure. Which was causing what they would the cardiovascular disease in Japan was strokes, uh, partly from the high salt diet. Uh, so they had a problem with cardiovascular. It wasn't coronary artery disease. It was here, 
and it was uh, hemorrhaging, not plugging up. Um, so that was a problem, but it, it certainly was very minimal uh, compared to the uh, prevention of heart disease that they enjoy. Um, they were thin, didn't, weren't overweight at all. Uh, and maybe, I, I don't know that that's an omega-3 effect. Uh, having a long-term omega, high omega-3 diet make you thin. Not a lot of evidence for it, but maybe. Uh, so, yeah, that's an example of a, of a culture uh, where a high omega-3 has been linked with good outcomes. If you look at, like, Eskimos writ large, Greenland Eskimos, Canadian Eskimos, Alaskan Eskimos, it's kind of a mixed story because uh, if if they're, yeah, they're eating wild, you know, whale and, and seal and fish if they're coastal. Um, but a lot of them are also eating at the, the, the commissary where they're buying really high, high saturated fat, cruddy food from, you know, cheap. And they're not getting nearly the exercise they used to because they all have their snow machines and they just ride around on them. You know, so, and they smoke and they get infections and they, you know, and, you know it's health is a mixed bag and, and omega-3 is not the panacea for everything by any means. <laughs> Now you came up with the omega three index. Maybe explain that a little bit. Um, yeah, based on a couple of studies, late nineties, early two thousands, that showed that people with the highest omega three blood levels were the least likely to have sudden cardiac arrest, sudden cardiac death. Uh, two papers showed that. Two very different papers, <clears throat> both showed the same thing. And that was uh, around 2002 when those papers became evident. And a, a colleague of mine in Germany, Dr. Clemens von Schacke, he and I were at a meeting uh, in Chicago, 2002, and heard this talk about omega-3 levels predicting risk for sudden cardiac death. Uh, being Again, high omega-3, really, really low risk. And we said, dang, there's got to be a blood test for this. People need to, there wasn't a blood test. Uh, <clears throat> So we said, let's let's make one up. I mean, I mean, we we had done some of this before, but let's let's make something that's available to consumers, to doctors, so they can actually test their omega three omega three level of their patients. And so, in two thousand four, we published a, a kind of paper that's, that proposed the omega three index as a new marker, and it's really the red blood cell level of EPA and DHA, and so it's. It's a marker from the blood, specifically from the red blood cells, which you know make up half of the blood, uh, and it's a good marker of membrane omega three levels, and, which also is a reflection of the, the your other your heart, your liver, your lungs, those other hard tissues of their omega three levels. So we called it the omega three index. Just kind of came up with that term. Yeah, it's not doesn't include all the omega threes. Yeah, I know, uh, but it's point is it predicts outcomes quite well it predicts health status quite well um, so that we proposed in 2004 started a laboratory 2009 uh, to offer it and have been doing it ever since yeah i'm looking at it right now on your website and there's also tests for um you do vitamin d and a prenatal dha test and then a vitamin b12 test right right those are uh, the the prenatal DHA test is obviously for moms, pregnant women, and we'd like to see their levels up about 5% on the DHA only. 
Omega-3 index is EPA plus DHA in red cells. So it's a little higher because you add two fatty acids together. And we think that ought to be about 8% for general cardiovascular health, um, just general health uh, across the board. Mm. Um, and yeah, the uh, vitamin D test is, is also a dried blood spot. These are all dried blood spot based tests. So you prick your finger at home, drop the blood, send it in the mail, get a report. Um, the B12, vitamin B12 status test is uh, based on urine. So you have to collect urine and set that in. A little more complicated for some people, but um, it's a good metric, a good measure of your B12 status. And older people particularly are. And in vegans <laughs> are at risk for B12 deficiency, sure. For sure. Um, and we're also hoping to come out with a, uh, a high sensitivity CRP, dried blood spot test as well. And we've got the hemoglobin A1C dried blood spot mm. test so for glycemic status for diabetics. So instead of just going in and having your blood drawn, this is just a, a finger prick and send it in? Right. Right. And then, yeah, obviously we recommend you, you know, work with your doctor, but you can order these tests and pretty well interpret them. Um, Pretty simple, particularly the omega-3. It's just very simple. If your omega-3 levels are too low, well, take fish oils or eat more fish. And it's, you know, that's not going to hurt anybody. With fish oils, there's obviously that market's been just inundated with (laughs) different fish oils all over, right? Like, I, I, there are certain ones, I mean, should you, obviously you can go to Walgreens and find one for 15 bucks, or you could go spend probably 70 bucks on one, um, and somewhere in between That's what right. should individuals look for as far as quality omega threes, if yeah. they're not getting it from their diet. It, it, it's a great question. Um, and it, it's a tough, I, I guess, you know, Walgreens, Walmart, you know, big box store, Costco type stuff. Um, you know, a common one I see at Costco is 1,200 milligrams. It's, it's screaming 1,200 milligrams fish oil per pill. So it's it's a fish oil pill that's 1.2 grams. So it's a little bit bigger than the average one gram pill, which is most people think is a horse pill anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got 300 milligrams of omega-3. It's a really low, I mean, it's cheap because it's very low concentration per pill of omega-3. You got to look, you don't look at the 1,000 milligram, 1,200 milligram. You, that just tells you how much fish oils in there, not how much omega-3 is there. So you got to flip it on the land, on the back, look at how much EPA and DHA is there per capsule, per serving, actually is what they show, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and many times a serving is two pills. So you got to look at that as well. Um, the more concentrated... It is an omega three. In other words, the more the more EPA DHA per capsule, the more expensive the product. It's just it takes more and more processing, um, and the more concentrated it is, the cleaner it is. Uh, not that the other ones. Are, I mean, I don't really think that the cheap stuff at Costco or whatever is is bad for you. It's just you're taking. <clears throat> excuse me, you're taking. You know. 80% of the oil you're getting in that capsule is not omega-3. It's just mm-hmm. other fats you'd get in your diet anyway, so it's not giving you much. Um, it's just a poor way to do it. But it's not, I don't see it as harmful. 
Um, I don't think we're there's any toxins there that you know you know cancel the effects of omega three. I mean, the average American diet provides roughly a hundred milligrams of EPA and DHA a day. And that's that's the average. The median intake, I think, is zero. Really? <laughs> Meaning, yeah, you take the it's because it's it's skewed. You know, there are some people that eat fish and they have much higher omega-3 intakes than the vast majority of people that don't eat any. Um, and so if you average that out across everybody, it comes out to be about a hundred milligrams a day. But if you look at the, you know, the median is the middle person right. in America, they're eating nothing. Um, so if you take one of these even cheap fish oil pills from Costco that gives you 300 milligrams in a big tablet, it's three, you know, three times the average right there. That's, that's, that's a huge step forward. So I don't want to criticize that per se, but it's not the optimal way to do it. Now you're going to, you can pay right. 70, hundred bucks a bottle. Some, some places, oh, yeah. highly, highly processed. Here's the word process going the right way. Right. Uh, <laughs> purified, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right. And, you know, I, I don't get real exercised about that. I, I think that's great. If you want to do it, I'm not too concerned about Uber, 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 pure omega-3, because I don't think the others are that bad. Um, but, you know, I, I, this is not something I get real excited about. Is there an upper limit? you got some good questions. <laughs> Well, you're only my 270 something episode. I think yeah, I'd be, no, it's somewhat right. improving upon that, but maybe not. <laughs> an upper limit is a good question. And meaning, is there a level, an intake, which becomes dangerous? That's yeah. what we mean by an upper limit, right? Uh, which has adverse health consequences. Or could someone do the index that you have, the omega 3 index, and it's like just at a, at like, a huge number and you're like whoa <laughs> like could that be yeah right and when now we've seen some huge numbers you, yeah. you do millions of tests you, you see numbers um again about 95 percent of americans are under eight percent we'd like to see eight percent or above that's our goal eight to we we always say eight to twelve percent of epa and dha and red cell membranes average americans around five and a half okay Okay, so we'd like to see 8 to 12. Well, why 12? Is above 12 dangerous? Well, not that we know of. It's just that we just don't know. I mean, we've got, there's so little research out at that high level of of anybody who's, I mean, the Japanese maybe average around 9 to 10%. And they do really well. Uh, And there's even some evidence that people are up around 11% in Japan doing better than those are in eight percent okay well that's good but we don't have any data beyond 12 percent to say yes or no good or bad right uh, so we just limit our recommendations to so say if you're at 12 percent you're 13 percent you don't need to be at 13 percent as far as anybody knows you you probably can cut back and you're going to be just fine uh you don't need to be at 16 percent there's no evidence that that's going to be any benefit and there's no evidence that that's going to be any harm. So it's just kind of a, a it, it's out there in the mist of unknown. Mm. So it's just, no human population really ever lives at chronically at a 15% omega-3 index. 
you can do it with supplements if you want to, but I'm not sure there's any evidence that would it's good for you. It, could it be predictive? Could the index be predictive of certain diseases like Alzheimer's or dementia or things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I've been dedicating my my life to the last 15 years or so. Um, started out with heart disease and show that higher omega-3 index. It typically, up, you know, we look at that 8% and above. That level is associated with lower risk for all kinds of, from Alzheimer's disease. We saw in the Framingham study that people that had the highest omega-3, like in the top 20 percentile of omega-3, which is 7 to 8% in Framingham, um, 50% lower risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. I mean, it doesn't mean the omega-3s are causing that, but it's consistent with that idea that a chronically high level of omega-3 will slow slow the development of Alzheimer's, other dementias. Um, we know that's true for cardiovascular disease. We know that's true for diabetes. We know that's true. For, we know that's true for death from anything, total mortality, highest omega-3 levels, the lowest risk for death, even cancer death. Even non-cardiovascular, non-cancer deaths, just the whole, the whole gamish of all the reasons people die, uh, seems to be better if you have a higher omega three. Um, so that's kind of what we're we're looking at. We just want to beat the medical community over the head with as many studies as we can, saying, "Look, a high omega three is good for A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and." You know, we can't do a randomized controlled trial with a placebo for 20, 30 years to prove this to you guys. Yeah. But wake up. This stuff is not dangerous just because it in some you know trials that last four years and old people, it doesn't change the outcome. Doesn't mean that higher omega-3s are not better for you. Uh, that's that's but that's what the medical establishment looks at. It's just randomized trials. That's it. They ignore everything else. And that's, I think, short-sighted, especially when you're talking about completely safe nutrients. Did I get off on my little tangent there? Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, is there anything else we're missing? Like, um, where do you, where would you say you get your daily intake of omega-3s from mostly? Supplements. Oh, okay. So you don't... I take about 1,400 milligrams a day um, from a... And I like... I mean, there are different kinds of uh, chemical forms of omega-3. So one is the triglyceride form, which is, means oil, classic oil. Uh, fish oils like that, it's triglycerides. And that's well absorbed, and it's fine, works great. Um, then there's a phospholipid form, which is what you get like in, typically in krill oil, mm -hmm. is rich in phospholipids. That's a great form. It's absorbed well. Um, you know, is it absorbed vastly better than triglycerides? No, um, but it's still a good form. And, and I, I don't have a problem with krill oil. Um, then there's algal oils, which are usually triglyceride form. That's good. Uh, the drug, the omega-3 drugs, pharmaceutical omega-3 products are all ethyl esters, which means chemically just means they've They've split off the EPA and the DHA from all these triglycerides, threw away everything else, kept the EPA and DHA, and then hooked an alcohol group to the end of it. That's an ethyl alcohol, like ethanol. Um, not dangerous, but 
it allows you to put a lot more inside your pill that's just EPA and DHA. Other stuff doesn't take up space. So the ethyl esters are very common. Um, it's particularly in higher concentrate forms. The only problem I have with them is they're just not very well absorbed unless you take them with a meal, fatty meal. And and you should be able to see on the bottle on the back, it should say ethyl esters in that really tiny font at the bottom, if that's what it is. Um, I, I don't think they're bad for you. Uh, are they the best? I don't think they're the best, but they're better than nothing for sure. Um, so I take a, a triglyceride, what they call a restructured or re, reconstituted triglyceride, which is a high concentrate that is a triglyceride. But they're the most expensive form, too. And do you have anything, any studies coming up or what's on the horizon for you? Oh, we're, um, again, our, my my research world is looking at relationships between omega-3 levels in the blood and health. And we just presented a paper at the uh, Nutrition Society meetings last month, or yeah, last month, this is August, um, showing really for the first time that the higher people with high omega-3 levels have a lower risk of hearing loss. Hmm. Um, because, you know, I mean, we, the omega-3s make up every membrane. They're in every membrane. Uh, and the membranes of the inner ear and all the, uh, the, the ner- nerve circuitry to the brain, it's... There's omega-3s there, and if there's lower levels of omega-3, they're just not operating as well. Um, so we've seen that with um, dry eye disease. We've seen that in macular degeneration. Now we're starting to hear hear about it with hearing. Um, that's, I think, fascinating area. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be digging more into that. But <clears throat> we are uh, have access to many different databases uh, of Patients who have been followed over many, many years, who eventually have developed disease A, B, C, D, whatever it is. And if we can get their blood from before they had that disease, that's the important thing. Maybe the omega-3 levels, then we can see how omega-3s predicted those outcomes. And that's so that's a lot of fun. We're going to be looking at omega-6 and cancer. Hmm. Just to look at that idea, is, is is it true or not that people with the higher omega-6 levels in their blood, are they more likely to develop cancer or not? Nobody knows. Uh, if, if, it, if it is true that higher linoleic acid is associated with increased risk of cancer, okay, that's something we need to deal with. If it's the other way around, which I suspect it will be because that's what it was for heart disease and diabetes, that the highest omega-6 levels are associated with lower risk of cancer, then that just, again, puts another nail in the coffin of the omega-6s are bad. Mm. You know, So we're studying things like that too. And if people want to get their index uh, tested, omega-3 index tested, I noticed there's three tests. Do you recommend just starting with a basic test or? Um, yeah, right. And the, yeah. Right, the three tests, I think, is the basic omega-3 index. All of them come from a dried blood spot. Okay. Prick your finger, put a drop of blood, and send it in. You can pick the <clears throat> the basic omega three index, which is the, the thing I think is the most important piece. Um, you can get the what we call the plus test, which includes uh, some ratios, omega six, omega three ratio, because some people like it, wow. even though I don't. Some people like it. Okay, I'm not going to impose my biases on anybody. Uh, plus, we get the trans fat 
index there. It gives the trans fatty acids are measured also in membranes. So you get that with the plus. Oh, and the complete gives you all of that plus all the other fatty acids that are in your blood. And it gives you a level uh, of those things. Some people like that. Um, it, you know, I, I don't think it's as important as, you know, get the basics first. Right. I think that's where you'd start the basic test. And basic test. yeah, you can go to omegaquant.com and just order it. I think it's like 50 bucks, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They send you a, a little kit, prick your finger and a, put it on the paper and drop it in the mail. And uh, I think between like roughly five days after it hits the lab, the report should be in your inbox. Very cool. <clears throat> something like that. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, omegaquant.com. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. is that the place? Yeah, we have, I was going to say we also have <clears throat> we have a partner lab in in Australia as well as in um, Scotland, kind of for the EU. Okay. So we're kind of covered worldwide. If people want to get omega three index testing from our laboratory, they can do it. Uh, just going to Omega Quant, and we'll get it figured out. Excellent, and. Um... All right. Is that the best place for people to find what you're up to? Is, is... I think so. Okay. Yeah. You can go to, you know, look at the about us kind of page and see, see what I'm doing. You can email me at bill at omegaquant and happy to respond to questions. Excellent. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on and um, sharing all this knowledge about omega threes. And I'll also, I'll send you some articles and I'm curious to hear. Yeah. Yeah. We can have a little offline chat about those things. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so so much for coming on, Bill. Okay, Brian. Great. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine, and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.